Hello, and welcome to our special seven questions edition of How to Win a Campaign. My name is Martin Diego Garcia, and you can find us at the Campaign Workshop on Instagram or on Threads. In this series, we're talking with some of our favorite authors, content creators, and influencers. You can find the seven questions blog post that inspired this conversation at thecampaignworkshop.com or in the show notes. Now, today we have a really special guest with us today, Brandon Wolf. Brandon is a nationally recognized gun safety and LGBTQ plus civil rights advocate and public speaker. Brandon is a survivor of the 2016 shooting at Orlando's Pulse nightclub. After losing his two best friends that night, Brandon set out to honor them and the other 47 victims' legacies with action. Brandon is the co-founder of The Drew Project, a nonprofit organization that helps to fund higher education to empower youth and future leaders in the LGBTQ community. He also works alongside March for Our Lives, Everytown, Giffords, and other organizations as an outspoken activist in the gun violence prevention movement. As a powerful public speaker, Brandon has been recognized by the HuffPo as one of the 30 modern-day LGBTQ pioneers, and Business Equality Magazine as one of the 40 LGBTQ leaders under 40. He also just released his first book, A Place for Us, a memoir that shares his transformative journey from a young outsider to an inspiring activist. He served as the press secretary for Equality Florida and is now the national press secretary for the Human Rights Campaign. Brandon, you're already doing so much, so I really appreciate you taking the time out to join us on the show today. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Thanks for having me. Let's start out because I found it really inspiring, right, that you committed to honoring the victim's legacy through action. Can you talk to us a little bit about sort of what keeps you motivated in this ongoing fight for LGBTQ rights and gun safety, particularly in this political landscape we are currently in? Yeah, it's a difficult time, but I'll give you a preview of the book. There are lots of stories in the book, but one that, that stands out to me is six days after the shooting, we had a funeral service for my best friend, Drew. And you know, those things are, are something you can never prepare for. You never go to the club thinking about how you might call their parents the next day and tell them they're not coming home. And you certainly never prepare to be at a friend's funeral just a few days after enjoying a drink with them. And so to date, it's one of the hardest days of my entire life. I got to the church that day and his mom had asked me to be a pallbearer, something I'm really grateful for, still honored to this day to have been able to do that. I got to the back of the church, took my place, and I was helping to push the casket down the aisle. And I found myself gripping the side really tightly. And it's because I didn't want to let go of my best friend until I'd found the right words to say goodbye. And so we got to the front of the church that day. I looked down at the casket and I made him a promise. I promised him that I would never stop fighting for a world that he would be proud of. And a world that Drew would have been proud of is one we can all be proud of. It's one where freedom actually means something. It's a value that's unconditional and worth defending for all people. It's a world where, you know, people can read the books they want to read, be who they want to be, love who they want to love without fearing discrimination, violence, or government intervention into their lives. And so that's the thing that keeps me going, even in the darkest moments, is this understanding that my purpose is greater than me. It's, it's about more than just the day-to-day struggle. It's about more than just how hard Tuesday might be. It is about the kind of world we can create if we stay relentless, if we stay positive, and if we stay focused. And the other thing I'll give you is just, I find hope in these moments in the strength of other people. I find a lot of hope in the strength of trans people, specifically Black trans women, who've been fighting this fight a lot longer than I have, and continue to find joy and celebration in this world that tries to suppress that all the time. I find a lot of hope in young people 
you know, high school students, middle school students that are hosting band book festivals and teaching AP African American studies here in Florida over the summer to each other to get access to censored material. They give me a lot of hope because they remind me that we've been in these places in the past, that we have fought these battles before, and that with young people at the head of the movement, we have succeeded. And I know we will succeed again. You're right. I mean, it's a great reminder to continue to think about in history and learning history. We are not the first folks to have to figure it out when it feels like all the odds are against us to figure out a path forward and support one another in that in that struggle and in that fight. Now, I know you do a lot of different things in the, in the sort of political and advocacy space, but you were the first survivor of the Pulse Nightclub tragedy to testify before Congress. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what that experience was like and what inspired you to go out and testify? I've had the opportunity now twice to testify before Congress. I would argue that I was probably more well-prepared and stronger the second time, I think, as anybody would be. The first time I got a call from Giffords, which is a gun violence prevention organization started by former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords. And at first, I thought maybe it was a prank. Maybe somebody was prank calling me. (laughs) And then it, it settled in that it was real, that they really wanted me to be a part of this committee conversation. And so... And working with their team and working with my personal board of directors, I put together what I thought was really powerful testimony. And my goal was to humanize the issue of gun violence. We were in a congressional hearing on tax policy and extremist groups abusing 501c3 status, things that bore people to tears if they try to watch them on C-SPAN. But I was there to put a human face to the conversation that when you empower and embolden hate, when you give it a blank check and force the American taxpayer to subsidize it, we pay the price, not just the financial price, we pay the human cost when violence inevitably explodes. And so I wanted to be there because, number one, our community had not had an opportunity to sit at that table before. We never had our stories heard in that way. And so I thought it was important that we be represented in that space. I felt like I was carrying Orlando with me that day. I wanted to be able to humanize, as I mentioned, gun violence. And then, you know, the second hearing that I had an opportunity to to speak in front of was the House Oversight Committee in December of 2022. This was in the wake of the Club Q shooting. It was, you know, amidst uh, an election cycle that was rife with anti-LGBTQ hysteria and bigotry, especially from people like my own governor, Ron DeSantis. And so I, I wanted to sit at that table, again, to give voice to the human cost of hate, to put a face to the Orlando community, but also to speak as a representative of what I think is the real Florida, people who are sick and tired of you know, a government that intervenes in every aspect of their lives that are sick and tired of politicians who fuel hate, who fund their campaigns through bigotry, the real Florida full of people who love their neighbors and want to do well for each other. I wanted to give them a voice in that space. So it was an incredible honor. I could pull you into the palace intrigue of what a congressional hearing actually feels like. But I would say it it was an honor to just sit at that table and bring voice to what I think are, are issues impacting a lot of people. I hope that part is in the book, because I, w- I would imagine folks who think about right, like going to testify in front of Congress seems like this huge, scary, like, thing similar to sort of running for office or learning something that you sort of don't know what's behind the curtain. I yeah. imagine it's not as sort of terrifying, maybe. As, it's not. As it it's really seems. not. It's like, I tell people all the time, once you realize that American politics is one never ending episode of Veep, it becomes a lot less daunting, because you realize 
everything's kind of chaotic. A lot of people are a hot mess. There are people being pulled in a million different directions. So yes, there's a story in the book about my personal run-in with the ranking Republican member of the first committee that I testified in front of. So you'll have to check out the book. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Talking about the Drew Project. So first of all, Condolences for your, for your losses and the loss of the other 47 victims at the Pulse nightclub shooting. So it was founded after the 2016 Pulse nightclub tragedy. Why did you choose to do funding of LGBTQ youth and particularly in higher education as a way to honor the victim's legacy? Yeah, we launched the Drew Project sitting around Drew's old kitchen island a month after the shooting. We were sipping from half empty bottles of wine that he'd stashed around the kitchen. And as we sat there, we asked ourselves what would keep the best parts of Drew alive? Because when you lose someone you love that much, you go through a range of emotions, right? Grief, and also joy when you remember the lovely times you had. But but there was a lot of fear for me. I was afraid that I would forget him. And so you know, I saved old voicemails to remember what he sounded like. I saved old t-shirts to remember what he smelled like when he walked in the room. And I was afraid that people would never get to know him the way I knew him. They would never get to really know the beauty that he provided to the world. And so I think our friends felt that same sense of fear. They felt that same desire to keep the best parts of him alive. And so as we sat there, we asked ourselves, what would Drew be doing if he were still here? And the answer was really quite simple. He had dedicated his life to the health and well-being of others. He was a master of clinical psychology. He was passionate about mental health resources. And in high school in 2003 or 2004, In very rural Florida, he started his school's first Gay-Straight Alliance student club because he was passionate about creating safe spaces for young people to be themselves. And so for us, it was very obvious we were going to do exactly what Drew would be doing if he was still here. We launched the Drew Project, which to date has given almost $200,000 in college scholarships away. We have a debt relief program that gives scholarships to those who've already graduated or accrued student loan debt over the years and help them pay down some of that debt. We authored the country's most comprehensive guidebook for Gay Straight Alliance student clubs so that they find value in their time together. All of it aimed at helping to build a pipeline of of incredible talent, people who are already changing the world at a young age, just helping to clear the obstacles in their path so that they can go out and continue to change the world. One, he sounds like a phenomenal human. And two, what an amazing way to sort of continue to allow his impact to spread and ripple. Now, working in this space, right, and we talk about this all the time, we work alongside Giffords and do some training work for them. And there is always an area of mental health component or self-care that we want to instill in the training. Coming up in the progressive space even 10 years ago, right, was a little bit different than it is now. And I think it's so much more acceptable and accessible to talk vocally about what does it look like to take care of yourself so that we're in this for the long haul, not sort of burning ourselves out. How do you, as somebody who is constantly on the go, working in a, in a number of different spaces, really prioritize your mental health and self-care as you're sort of juggling all this? Yeah. Number one, thank you for centering health and well-being and self-care. As you mentioned, it's, it's paramount. I think for a number of reasons. Number one, this movement is not sustainable if people are running themselves into the ground. And the truth is, when you're working in spaces like we do, whether you're talking about gun violence prevention, whether you're talking about LGBTQ civil rights, whether you're talking about getting great people elected who care about the people they serve, the honest truth is that a lot of us come to that work with trauma. And that means that every day while we're moving in those spaces, we are carrying that trauma with us. And that means caring for ourselves is even more important than if we were maybe working in a cubicle somewhere for a corporation, right? 
Not to say that they don't need self-care too, but just saying that there's an extra layer of weight that comes with this work when you bring your own personal trauma to it, right? So I think that's number one is, is just recognizing that the self-care part of it is so needed. And number two is that it's the point of the work, right? What is the point of fighting for liberation if you never get to experience joy throughout that fight? That's the whole purpose of our work is to create space for us to be happy and healthy and whole human beings. How do I get there? Number one, I try not to celebrate overwork. If you follow me on social media, you will find a balance of like songs I'm listening to and vacations I'm going on and also the fight that is ahead of us and all of the things we're working on because I think we have to celebrate balance. Audre Lorde has my favorite quote of all time. She says that caring for myself is not selfish, it's self-preservation and that in itself is an act of political warfare. I believe that to my core that in a world that tells you you're only as valuable as what you can produce taking a nap is an act of political warfare in a world that tells you, you know, that your life doesn't matter or that your existence is less than someone else's finding joy, celebrating community, creating art. Those things are also an act of political resistance. And so I celebrate those things. I try to center them in what I share with the world. And second, I I recognize that self-care is not an individual activity. It's a team sport. It is really community care. And so I've learned to get really good at asking for what I need from people. I've learned to to get good at advocating for the space I need in order to take care of myself. I've tried to get better at taking my paid time off when I'm allowed it instead of letting it pile up and then forgetting about it until the end of the year. I really try to find balance and ask for what I need from the community around me. We really can't take care of ourselves on our own, just like we can't do anything else on our own. We have to lean on each other. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And and as we continue to rise as leaders in this space, we're able to sort of then be those managers, be those supervisors, be those EDs who get to then create that culture for new folks coming in. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about how they would get involved with either the Drew Project and or support the gun violence prevention movement? Yeah, so the Drew Project, of course, we'd love to have your support in whatever way makes sense, whether it's time, treasure, sharing the message on social media, all of it helps. We want to send a very clear message to LGBTQ young people in this country that they're perfect exactly as they are, that they have every tool at their disposal to be great, that they're already changing the world simply by existing unapologetically, and that we're here to support them, that we are here to give them the resources they need in order to thrive. That's part of why I wrote the book, by the way. A Place for Us is about helping young people understand that there is a place for them in the world. So, of course, again, we would love your support. You can go to thedrewproject.org. Drew is spelled D-R-U. So thedrewproject.org, you can make a donation, you can download our curriculum guide for GSAs there. It's free and open source for anyone who wants to get a copy. And of course, you can share online, just spread the message. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, all all the things. You know, in terms of the gun violence prevention movement, there are lots of ways to plug in. My encouragement for people would be find the space that makes the most sense to you. There are organizations like Moms Demand Action that are welcoming to all people, but are really geared toward families who are worried about the future of their kids and and the world they're going to inherit. If that's something that speaks to you, then volunteer for an organization like Moms Demand Action. If you're a student who you know wants to create safer college campus environments, or you're passionate about making sure young people go to school to learn math, reading, and science, and not how to hide from an active shooter, there are organizations like 
March for Our Lives and Everytown and Students Demand Action. And there's campaigns to keep guns off of college campuses. There's a whole raft of organizations that move in that space. Again, for me, it's about finding what drives your passion in the work, right? What is it that that gets you excited to volunteer an hour or two? What is it that gets you excited to call voters in your neighborhood or knock on doors? Maybe it is a candidate, maybe it's an organization, but you got to find the thing that ignites your passion for making the world a safer place and then figure out the organization, the candidate, the movement that's building around that and just go pour yourself into it. Thank you. We'll make sure that those websites and organizations are in their show notes as well. So we've talked about the book a little bit. First of all, congrats. I think it's fantastic and uh, a place for us. What a great title. I don't know if there is a nod to West Side Story in there, but I would love it as a theater queen that there is. But can you tell our listeners a little bit about, about the book and sort of what the process was for you to sort of even put it all together? Yeah, it's funny because I didn't intentionally create a West Side Story (laughs) illusion in the title. In fact, that wasn't even the title we were working with for most of the process of this book. Again, I'll pull the curtain back. That is, I think, very common that authors have to let go of their working titles when Mm -hmm. it comes time for the publisher to decide how the book will sell. So I went through a grieving process because we let go of the old title. But I think A Place for Us really captures exactly what I wanted the book to be about and who I wanted it to be for. The process of of getting to a place where I could write a book was honestly very challenging because there's a lot of imposter syndrome that comes with being a queer person of color, being a young person, deciding to write down a story. There are already comments from people like, are you even old enough to have a memoir? Listen, everybody's old enough to have life experiences and stories to share with others. There was that first getting over the hurdle of, should I even write a book, right? Would anybody ever read it? Am I someone whose story matters? And then there was the process of how do I even put a book together? But it was the summer of 2020 that propelled me, like a lot of other people, to take new steps in my advocacy journey. And when George Floyd was murdered, I felt this intense pain at the intersection of being not just a queer person, but also a black person in America. And I went through this reflection process and realized just how often I had been severed from my community, from my identity as a young person growing up in a very conservative majority white community I had lost contact with a lot of who I was by no fault of my own. And I felt like this book was an opportunity to explore that. It was an opportunity to tell that story and also speak to those who may be experiencing the same thing. So I feel really honored to have been able to tell what I think is a powerful story of a queer Black person in America navigating the intersections of his identities, finding belonging, finding community, experiencing tragedy and trauma, and then finding purpose in the wake of that. Um, And I hope that it speaks to people, not just who have my same or similar lived experiences, but also people who might never have heard a story like mine before, because we all know what it feels like to struggle to belong sometimes. We all know what it feels like to have to find community. We all know what it feels like to lose people we love. And so I think this book is not just for the people that I hope see their stories reflected back at them, but also others who may not have imagined that uh, we have so much in common. Absolutely. So where can folks find the book? You can find it anywhere you like to buy books, Barnes and Noble online, Amazon. I know people like bookshop.org because it sends it through your local small bookstore. And of course, you can find it on my website, brandonwolf.us. You'll find a link there to buy a copy of A Place for Us. My only request is the same to everyone. If you get a copy and you read it, I'd love to know what you thought of it. 
Will do. I'm ordering my copy right now. So you're already doing so much. So I feel silly asking this question, but what's next? Are there things you're excited for? Obviously, we're going into what is going to be a very interesting political season, but there's so much more out there. What's exciting you? Oh, everything excites me. I think the future is is exciting. I think the possibilities are endless in this moment. And that feels kind of maybe Pollyannish to say because things are really dark and we've gone through so much as especially as marginalized communities. I mean, the LGBTQ community, I'm a, a queer person who spent a long time in Florida. It's rough to be just you unapologetically. And so I know that it feels weird to say that in that I see endless possibility, but it's because that's the truth that part of the the right wing strategy to push back so hard is built from a place of understanding that they already lost the culture war, that we live in a browner, queerer America than ever before. And they're doing everything they can to try to peel that back. But there's no putting that genie back in the bottle. There's no world where, you know, TikTok and Instagram don't exist, where YouTube doesn't exist, where young people can't look out into a world that looks far more like them than they imagined. That isn't going anywhere. And so that idea of a world that is so much bigger and freer and more inclusive is really exciting to me. And I'm excited about the work that's going to be required to get us there. I'm excited about ensuring that, you know, queer stories are at the table. Every time we're being discussed, I'm excited to ensure that we're centering those who live at the intersections of identity. And I've always said, I don't care much about titles or what pin is on my lapel. I want to be where I'm needed to have the greatest impact. And so I am really excited to just have as much impact as I can. We're excited to follow and see what you're doing next. Thank you. Um, so something we end all of our episodes with, any favorite podcast book, movies, TVs that you're digging right now that you want to share with our listeners? Oh my gosh. I'm so bad because I'm not a consumer of pop culture. I don't know why. I just like... Maybe I got into the work too deep and I lost touch with my, you know, little monster Lady Gaga roots. But I don't know. I feel like books, I'm kind of a nerd. So I, you know, I like books on economic theory and like historical books about figures. I was reading You Never Forget Your First, I think is what it's called. I'm sort of midway through that. It's one of the first, if not the first uh, biographies of Washington uh, George Washington, written by a woman. It's a fascinating book. I also read a book on modern monetary theory. So my book's probably going to bore you to death. Sorry. I also like memoirs by queer Black author Saeed Jones. If you've not read How We Fight for Our Lives, one of my favorites. Yeah, I don't know. Movies, TV. I'm open to suggestions. So <laughs> We'll send some your way. We'll yeah, jump in way. my social media and tell me what you're watching. I feel like I binged everything I wanted to binge. So I need some recommendations. Absolutely. And if folks want to follow you on social, where are you at? You can find me everywhere. I am on Twitter or X. I don't know what we're calling it at B Joe Wolf. I'm on Instagram at Brandon J Wolf. I'm on Facebook. If you use that, I have a TikTok. I don't, I'm not very good at that, but you know, I'm like an elder millennial. So I do my best. <laughs> but if you want to follow me on TikTok, I'm on there as well. B Joe Wolf. Same, same, same. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for joining us and for all of the amazing work that you are doing. I am continuously inspired by you and I'm sure our listeners are going to be as well. So thank you for taking the time out to chat with us. Thank you. It's an honor. Of course. For more on this topic, you can check out our blog at thecampaignworkshop.com. And if you want to hear more of these interviews, be sure to like, subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, I'm Martin Diego Garcia, breaking down how to win a campaign. 
How to Win a Campaign is Joe Fold, Martin Diego Garcia, Elizabeth Rowe, Phoebe Retta, Samantha Sondek, and Lauren Odom. Music by Daniel Pinto. Audio editing by Christopher Lang. Special thanks to the team at the Campaign Workshop. Please review, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.